You have stepped in the door of imagination and clarification. You've stepped in to the question zone. And now for the question zone on the Bellator Christie podcast. Welcome your hosts, the cowboy apologist, Curtis Evelo and Dr. Brian Chilton. Well, thanks for tuning in with us uh, here on the Question Zone. And uh, here on the Question Zone, each episode uh, is designed to open a conversation and give biblical answers. My full intent is to ask the questions you may have to topics uh, that are re- that are relevant to the to the day and age we live in, giving Brian and I an opportunity to show you how to look biblically at the culture and how to live that out. We're going to start out with the first question here um, on the question zone, and we're going to go back to our uh, guests that we had for this um, season so far. In the episode one, we had Josh Taylor. I asked uh, an additional question. I thought of an additional question that that came up with that, and it goes back to um, uh, some of his statements about pastoral um, ministry and stuff. Uh, my first question was, do you think pastoral burnout could be due to the way we do church, Western versus Eastern? And that's a very good question, Curtis. And I just we just got, actually got the response by Dr. Taylor today. And he said, my answer to number one is this. Uh, he answers yes and no. In Western context, there's often a strong focus on individualism, achievement, and always being on, quote-unquote. Uh, pastors can feel pres- pressed to be constantly available and meet every need. It's a demanding pace. In contrast, Eastern approaches can place pastors as both spiritual leaders and keepers of tradition. It's a balance between spiritual duties and preserving cultural norms. But regardless of context, burnout is universal. It's not limited limited by geography or culture. Often it's tied to huge expectations from congregations, lack of support, or personal challenges the pastors face. We must understand these pressures and work together to support our spiritual leaders, no matter where they are. Hmm. Well, then my second question to to Dr. Taylor was, it's more of a kind of a statement and a question at the same time. It, 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 it's human nature to give the burden to someone else. How can we get the church to see ownership of their own issues and not just hand them off to someone. Josh answers by the following. Uh, he says in an email correspondence, that's a thoughtful question. Here's a possible approach to fostering that sense of ownership within the church. First, highlight biblical partnership as emphasizing the value of each member's contribution as guided by scripture uh, can help everyone realize the importance of mutual ministry in personal growth. 
Also, Bible studies, organized group studies focusing on scriptures that emphasize the role and value of every member within the church body, such as 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul speaks about different members of the body having unique functions. Testimonies encourage members to share personal stories during services about the value of mutual ministry and partnership in their spiritual journey. Ministry mapping. Uh, by transparently illustrating the rationale behind certain pastoral priorities, members might better understand and appreciate their roles in a larger mission. Ministry meetings host regular sessions where church leaders communicate the direction of the church, current projects, and the strategic reasoning behind them. Delegate tasks. When pastors distribute certain responsibilities to qualified members, it fosters an environment where the weight of the mission is shared and everyone plays a part. Ministry fair. Uh, Organize an annual or biannual event where different church ministries set up booths. This allows members to learn about other areas they can serve in and sign up on, on the spot. Leadership training. Develop programs to identify and train potential leaders within the church. These could be short courses or mentorship programs that prepare members for leadership roles in various church activities. Promote volunteerism. Recognizing and celebrating those who volunteer can inspire more active participation and responsibility within the community. Volunteer appreciation. Dedicate time to appreciate and honor those who volunteered their time and efforts in various church activities. Spiritual gifts assessment. This is a really important one, in my opinion. Conduct assessments or workshops to help members identify their spiritual gifts as mentioned in Scripture like Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. Once identified, guide them toward ministries or roles where they can utilize those gifts to benefit the church community. The key is to help everyone see that they are an integral part of the church's mission. Through shared responsibility and mutual support, the church can thrive and better address its challenges. Whew, that was a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think, Brian, not to add more into this because I want to hurry up and get to ours, but but we had covered some of this um, topic um, in, in a past podcast, and, and I do believe we covered the topic of just because your spiritual gift at that moment does not necessarily mean that that's your permanent spiritual gift it's something that at that moment you you are called to do or what have you if i'm not mistaken absolutely and i agree with you and and this is one of the things i've learned in in ministry even now uh so many things in life are seasonal um Mm -hmm. you know if you think about your job if you think about a pastor in a church um no matter what the role is, you're never going to be at a place forever. You just aren't because eventually people are going to get retired. They're going to get sick. Uh, you know, we die. Uh, we live in eternity in heaven with the Lord. But but due to the nature, the way the world works, we're not going to do the same thing forever. And so, so many things in life are seasonal. And I think you're right, Curtis. I think God equips us and gifts us with the, those spiritual gifts that are so critically important for that moment. Now, I do think there are some anchor gifts that we have that uh, are part of that who God makes us to be, but that doesn't mean that uh, other gifts don't come and go or aren't really strengthened. And in a manner of speaking, I guess you could say we all have all of the gifts to a level and degree. Sometimes some are stronger than others. Sure. 
And it's which ones you flex more. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So number three, I, I say to um, Dr. Taylor, you mentioned uh, number five, volunteer commitment in his list of, of uh, he gave, gave numbers of, of levels and volunteer commitment. Do you think if, if that should be a higher in, in importance, creating an environment of discipleship and having others like deacons and seasoned saints forming small groups to minister to the people of the church, not replacing the pastor, but creating a Exodus 18 environment? He goes on to say here, that's a fantastic observation. In Exodus 18 and Acts 6, 1 through 7, we witness a transformative leadership model. It's not just about delegating tasks, but fostering a culture of discipleship where spiritual growth and service go hand in hand. He says, take Moses, for instance. He wasn't just offloading work when he followed his father-in-law Jethro's advice in Exodus 18. He was empowering capable leaders, building a tiered mm-hmm. structure uh, where more people were involved in addressing concerns and judgments. It also allowed for more tailored, intimate interactions among the Israelites. Similarly, in Acts 6, 1-7, through these appointments of the seven men wasn't merely for administrative purposes. Uh, these were individuals full of the spirit and wisdom. While rooted in addressing a logistical concern, their roles had also uh, also had a spiritual undertone, ensuring that the word of God spread and disciples multiplied. Translating this to a multiple, excuse me, a modern church setting, when seasoned leaders like deacons and elders are entrusted with smaller groups, they are uniquely positioned to disciple people intimately. They guide spiritual mm-hmm. growth, identify and nurture each individual's potential to serve the broader church community. This does two things. Number one, it alleviates the pastor from being the sole shepherd of every need. Two, it creates a church body where members are nurtured spiritually and actively involved in volunteerism. The brilliance of this approach is that it seamlessly integrates spiritual growth with active service, creating a robust, thriving church community. Great. Well, I appreciate Dr. Taylor actually spending some time and answering some of those questions. it was it was good it was a good uh interview and i enjoyed listening to it and these were just some of the topics that that i had kind of on my heart um seeing some of the struggles and hearing some of the stuff um just in multiple different um church environments that i that i've seen and heard um across the nation and so just thought i'd ask those questions so um, that too. We're going to jump into the question zone, season seven, the article questions. Now, you wrote an article um, to, uh, speaking about the church from a church. If you want to kind of maybe give a little background to that uh, quickly article, and then I can go into the questions. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think I thank you, Curtis, for for doing that and asking you know questions about this article because it, it was one that was really near and dear to my heart, and mm-hmm. I, I want to let people know that the responses or the, really the article itself did not come from from any particular church or any particular person. So I want to clear the air there. Uh, so don't think that. I'm talking about anyone or anything. I I actually had over a course, a span of um, two or three months, 
had been contacted by by no less than three people, and I think it was closer to being five people uh, that mm. were telling me about problems they had in different churches, about different circumstances, different situations, and you know some individuals felt neglected by the church because they were going through uh, difficulties and struggles, and no one seemed to care, no one seemed to reach out to them. Mm. Um, other people were going through. Um, you know, difficult situations and circumstances where they didn't feel like they were being heard. Um, and other people just, I mean, and even talking with people in my role as a chaplain and, um, and an assistant director now, just seeing some people that are just often neglected by churches. I, I heard one case of an individual who, um, their, their loved one had been, had given to the church so many years. Um, had given their heart to, to the church. But then when the person became sick and was no longer able to financially contribute to the church, it's as if the church forgot her and forsa- mm-hmm. and forsa- had forsaken this individual, um, him or her. So it, it was, um, you know, it, just things like that. It was just, it mm-hmm. wasn't one particular thing, but it was just a growing, convergence of different people who were who were communicating with me about problems they had and you know even some personal things i've dealt with over the years it's so important in this article i point out that it's so important to find our identity in the body of christ you know curtis Mm -hmm. you and i are brothers we're separated by i mean i don't know what a thousand miles of distance between montana and north Oh, a lot more than a thousand. Probably, yeah. <laughs> probably fifteen hundred miles. Or so, whatever it's, the case. It's 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 uh it's over seven hundred and some miles across my state. Good gracious! Someone told me it took about twelve hours to drive across Montana. <laughs> That's just the same. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, however much it may be, you know, yeah. we go to different churches. We're in different communities. But really, if we think about it, we're brothers in Christ because we're saved by the same God. We, we are, we are the, the blood of the same Savior atoned our sins. We're filled with the same Holy Spirit and we're part of the same mission. And so many churches I see that it's like they're competing against different churches. They're competing against different places. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not about finding our identity in an individual church where maybe someone's grandfather had established that church and they think that if that church fails, then they have, then, then the world's going to end. The sky's going to fall, as Chicken Little would say. But that's not where our identity's found. It's not found in a church. It's found in the kingdom of God and right. it's found in being, being a member of the body of Christ. And the, the body of Christ is interdenominational. It's, hmm. It's, it's multi-ethnic, it's multi-racial, it's multinational, international, I guess you'd say would be a better term, uh, multilingual, people of different languages, tongues, ethnicities. It, it's a global enterprise, and it's even multilinear, uh, in, in, in indicating the fact that it's not found in just one particular time, but it spans a vast time period. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and so we're part of a larger family than just our local assembly. Hmm. Uh, the the just the Tower of Babel just came to my mind, uh, where where language and people were dispersed, and then the gathering in Acts two when yeah. 
people were united and then gave given a language of the Holy Spirit. So kind of a unique little thing that I just thought of right there. Absolutely. And it's, and it's, and it's interesting. It's interesting. The parallel that, that the tower of Babel and the sin that where people wanted to be God, access God, think that they could do it by themselves. God dispersed them. But then when you have people coming together in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes down, God unites them. It's interesting. It's a very interesting picture you find. Yeah. So let's jump into the first question of that. So on the article I asked, or about the article I asked, could some of this be solved or at least somewhat remedied by creating discipleship into Scripture and not discipleship into denominations? Absolutely. I think I think that's part of the problem. I think our biblical illiteracy in our churches, in our congregations, is impacting the way we do church. Um, it, it just is. I mean, we. I, I grew up in a time where you know you had um, the elders of the congregation who would train and bring up the younger generations in the Word of God. Right. Right. But now it almost seems as if there's this rivalry between the elders and the youth. Hmm. And I don't understand it. And it's not biblical because the elders train up the youth. There's there's Hmm. not a distinction of Mm -hmm. elders versus the youth because the the church is not just for the youth. It's not just for the elders. It's for everybody. It, Hmm. It really is. The elders bring up the youth. They train them up and, and train them so they can be the future leaders of the church. Uh, and it's all grounded and, and rooted in the word of God. Um, so I think that's part of the problem. I think we're trying to find, listen, we realize that the church is in dire straits in America. We realize that it's harder to get people to come to church. And it just kind of go coincides with what the podcast with Taylor said. You know, we've got mm-hmm. 38% of pastors that are leaving the ministry. And this is yeah. not just going to impact the pastoral ministry. This is going to impact everyone in church ministry. You're going mm-hmm. to have less people to draw from. There are less youth entering the ministry and it's creating a, it's, it's, it's creating a trickle down effect where it's going to impact us in a vast, capacity in fact i even heard tom rayner say on one of the church leadership podcasts that the average age of a pastor went from something like mid 40s now close to upper upper 50s lower 60s i think it was i mean it's mm. getting now that the average pay the age of pastors mm. are closer and closer to retirement age because there mm. just aren't enough people coming in uh, entering the youth, in, youth entering the ministry anymore. And that's a problem. Um, I think you're right. I think that, I think the, the solution is getting in the word of God, being trained in the word of God, being, finding our foundation in the word of God and allowing the spirit just to take over. That's where transformations found in the spirit of God. <laughs> a new, new documentary came out. I don't want to mention about. We're gonna be we're gonna be covering it next question zone, that's for sure. Oh, I'm looking um, forward to it. <laughs> so see, see folks, this um, is gonna get interesting because we, we're giving Curtis full reign <laughs> to drive this ship. And so I'm looking forward to see what's coming next episode. It's 
it's less of a ship and more of um you know like the Miami Vice cigarette boats that zoom back and forth. On <laughs> 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 the radar, it's going to look more like a gnat flying everywhere. <laughs> so, uh, the second question here, I said, can someone with local with local "Quote unquote church hurt finds solace in the big C, the 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 big church body, or should they seek local help, either in singular person or in small group?" And that comes from a from that idea that, well, I don't need to deal with church. I don't need to be be involved with church. I can just I can just be, you know, be be a Christian and and go and do my thing on Sunday or go and do whatever, you know, and and because I've been hurt, I don't want to deal with that. One, I don't find that biblical. And two, I just, I find it where someone's going to have bitterness that they don't get rid of. And Mm -hmm. so that's, that's where that question was really birthed out of. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think we, we need, we, we are built to be communal people. Now, listen, I'm more of an introvert. I don't have to have as much personal interaction with people. To Listen, I, I was talking with a lady today who, who uh, whose dad was a truck driver. Her mom was a truck driver. And so she knew what it was like driving, you know, coast to coast. And I thought, you know, if, if I didn't have a bladder the size of a peanut, I think I would probably like to be a coast to coast driver <laughs> myself, you know, just get out on the open road and not have to worry about people. Uh, you know, that's weird because oh, the no, calling. You still do. <laughs> oh, you still do? Well, that just. Yeah, you still do. But. Threw that through that dream out the window, but <laughs> but you know sometimes you wonder, well, man, it'd just be nice just to to be able to just get away from the craziness and insanity of people. But but even still, we're built to be communal people. We're built for relationships. We're built for um, fi- being part of community. And so I think you're on to something, Curtis, about the small groups. Uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, he and I are, are uh, starting up a, a home Bible study, and um, and we're we're looking forward to that. Uh, it's just you're just nothing fancy. We're just going to get in the Word of God and look into some truths of the Word of God. You know, just just a home study, just a home personal study is what it is. Um, and I th- I think sometimes if we have the small groups like that, whether it's Bible studies or whether it's something associated with the church as an outreach ministry, there may be some people who would come to a home Bible study or a small group at home that wouldn't darken the doors of a church. I think that's a good outreach ministry for people who have suffered church hurt. Um, but yeah, I, I, to answer your question, I think you can find solace in the big C church, but I do think you, if you've, if you've been bucked off the horse, you got to get back on, you know, you may need to find a different horse. You may need to find, you know, something else, but you need to, you need to get back on the horse because we're built to be part of a community uh, of individuals because we are the bride of Christ. Right. So in your article, one big thing I picked out is uh, the understanding the difference between what our local church may be doing and what the big C church uh, was called was called to do, and what if we looked at more to a home church model as like what a young first century church like they would have you would have synagogue 
where you'd get the main teaching and so on. And then you'd have home church where you'd actually have, could have worship. You'd have uh, breaking of bread. You'd have fellowship. You'd have, you know, however that would go on from that point. Um, what would, what would that do for people today? Well, well Curtis, I, I, I'm not so sure that that may not be what the church eventually looks like. Um, mm. Due to the very fact that there are so many churches struggling, uh, due to the fact that we're seeing less and less people attending church, and with the potential that's always there, I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily going on now, but let's face it, if you read the book of Revelation and you take a future's perspective as I do, then that means that things are going to get tougher and tougher as we get closer to uh, the, the time of tribulation. And so there's a good possibility that the church could go underground. It's happened before. And in fact, it is happening now in certain nations. Um, so I think that there is something to be said for home churches. I think there's something to be said for that. Uh, hmm. Quite honestly, you don't have to have a big fancy building to have a church. Um hmm. You can have a small group of people at a person's home or at a community building. I mean, we have several churches that's upstarted in our area, uh, just just grassroots movements that God is blessing and people are getting saved. People are coming to the Lord in these grassroots efforts. Um, so I think that if we look to build community that we would be far better off because the big C church is all about the kingdom of God. It's, it's not about getting people to come to our club or our church. It's about getting people saved and into the kingdom of God and not just getting a person there so that a buck can be in a pew, but to disciple them, to train them up in the ways of Christ, to build them up in the ways of the Lord. And that's why I know it's not fancy. Uh, I know it's not, it, you're not going to have the Crayola charts and stuff like that. But I think the, the first century model is all about relationship, relationship with God and relationship with others. And I think that's what it means to be the church. And that's how you build, you, it starts by building relationships. And from that point forward, you become a community. And there's something attractive about being part of that community that welcomes people, that loves people, and, and points them not to us, but points them to Christ. Right. I think you and I covered that um, years ago um, when COVID actually hit. Um, we covered that in a podcast um, about how this may turn into a even a, a digital um uh home church type situation we didn't know at that time what that would look like but we actually covered um that particular topic so go yeah. back and check and see if you can find those episodes so um the my article um storytelling stars what i meant to accomplish in that in that article was just a short brief little um encouragement to understand that the stars that we look up at at night night or in the in the um, mornings whatever are the same stars that abraham looked at 
the same stars that Jesus would have prayed through to his father, the same stars Mary would have looked up at when she um, at night would probably sit outside and be like, how did I, how was I chosen? You know, these are the things that I ponder when I look at that. So when I, when I wrote that article, that's what I had in mind was to pause for a minute and realize there's a connection, not only between us and the creator, but us and time. Uh, you know, we are a portion of a time spectrum and we're somewhere on that spectrum, but we share that same, we share those same things that connect us to the father. Absolutely. So I, I, I asked the question, number one, how important is it for us to us as believers to have an emotional connection along with a theological connection to God, the God of the Bible? I think it's so important um, to ha- and I think that if I'm understanding your question correctly here, Curtis, I think that you're drawing something that's that's of key critical importance, and that's to, to have both a head uh, worship and knowledge of God and a heart worship and knowledge of God. Uh, that emotional spiritual attachment, of course, is is talking about matters of the heart. Uh, the 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 head the mental aspects the intellectual aspects is to have uh, that theological connection with the God of the Bible and you know the other day I posted it, it came up on my my memories uh, <laughs> it's a funny thing though because sometimes people say well you're bragging about this thing you're just self glorifying yourself you know, other people can post something else that happens and it's it's all kosher but if I post something it becomes automatically that I'm self promoting myself or something like that that's hogwash the the, the reality <laughs> is is I posted on there because if you knew how close I came to not being able to finish that program and you'd see how many times God intervened and opened the way for me to be able to successfully complete that program, you would understand that this is not about self-promotion or self-glorification. This is all about giving God praise for something that I thought on numerous occasions would not be completed. And mm-hmm. I mean, you, Curtis, you know, you were you were going mm-hmm. through with me. We we talked on a weekly basis, still talk on a weekly basis. But, you know, we were talking about, you know, how many times, how close it was razor thin times. I'm thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know if I'm going to be able to accomplish this. this. And God somehow sends the right person at the right time, the right moment to open up the right door to allow me to finish to finish that. Uh, yep. and for me personally, for me personally, studying theology, studying these things is an act of worship. And yep. so that connects me to the God of the Bible, but also having yeah. that spiritual connectiveness is so critically important. I, I hope that's, I hope that I answered the question. I, th- I think that's what you were sure. saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by, and by looking at the stars, by taking a moment and pausing and just looking up, we get a sense. Um, I even wrote in there, you know, maybe we're supposed to feel that small. Maybe we're supposed to feel that we are so minute compared to the size of the 
stars of the galaxies of the of the beyond you know um that maybe we're supposed to feel that small so we search him out even more yeah absolutely so i agree i have i have here a number two astronomy is different than astrology so what did the ancients see as the difference compared to us um, in modern times or if any. And then I have here, I've restated the question. Did the ancients understand the difference between the two or were they kind of one in the same? So, yeah, this, so this is looking at the difference between astrology and astronomy. So interestingly, uh, so let's just go ahead and define what we mean here by our terms. Astrology, Mm. Yeah, astronomy is a study of the stars. Um, it's a study of the universe, a study of what is. Astrology is looking at constellations and stars, the signs of the zodiac, and and believing that this uh, the zodiac somehow or the planetary body somehow or another uh, controls our fate and controls our destiny. Here's an interesting thing: the two terms should be reversed because, quite frankly, they they worded these things. Huh? Yeah, so because because the word aster I believe is right means star. The word logos means study of. So astrology means the study of the stars. That should be what we talk about with astronomy. So again, the word aster means star. Nomos means the law of something. So it's the law of the stars. So they've got the two terms mixed up. Astrology should be the good term, and astronomy should be the bad term, but actually it's reversed. (laughs) (laughs) So there were definitely beliefs, uh, astrological beliefs uh, in ancient times. I mean, for instance... um, the Magi, most likely, you know, were mm-hmm. in some form, had some form of uh, belief in astrology, uh, or at least people, not necessarily them, but people at least in their in their era in that time did. But I think that if we look at scripture, for instance, even in the book of Job, where God responds to Job's um, critiques, his, his, his asking God, uh, questioning God why these things happen. He says, well, did you hang Pleiades, you know, a, a star mm-hmm. cluster? Did you hang that in the sky? Did you create and form Orion, uh, this constellation, this, this constellation of stars? Did you put it in the sky? Were you really there? Were you there whenever I hung everything together and created it? So, Job, you're wanting to know why everything happens the way it does, but yet you can't even understand some of the basic things I did to create the universe. Basic. <laughs> Which to us would be mind-boggling. Can, can I say mm. one thing off the topic? It's kind of related, though. It's yeah. In, yeah. James Webb Space Telescope is using infrared technology to look to peer into deepest space and seeing things that that we just have never seen before. Because it's picking up because infrared, the, the farther things with the red shift, the farther things move away from it, from, from us, it enters into that infrared zone. So you, they're having to use infrared to look at the deepest space. And the more they look into space, the more baffled they're becoming. It's yeah. gotten to the point now that I read even today on a publication where scientists are saying that they're fully fat, they're fully realizing that we're just not going to know everything about the universe because it's just too <laughs> 
There's it's, a scripture verse for that. <laughs> but I mean that that doesn't mean they're going to stop trying. But they just they come to, to realize that this this universe is just too big. We're not going to understand yeah. it. There's certain things going on that that's just baffling scientists even now cosmologists and astronomers uh, alike they're just they're baffled by some of the things uh, going on in the universe and so you're right it just goes into what what scriptures told us all along huh it's funny though because i put in my article i said you know we've designed tools to be able to peer into the universe or the the stars and the in the darkness even more but what it does or, or what it does is it just leaves us these tools leaves leave us to wanting to build better ones so we can see further Absolutely. and that's the truth yeah, yeah. i have no doubt in my Find mind connection There'll be something like James Webb, which is even bigger and maybe using more, even more, you know, complex infrared technology to peer deeper. And whenever that happens, they're going to see it's, it's even bigger and wilder than we thought even then. It's just, uh, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, I, I know Dr. Hugh Ross was talking a while back about, about having some sort of um, telescope like, thing uh like the james webb on the back side of the moon so it doesn't have all the the extra glare and and i'm just like extra glare <laughs> mm. wow so number three the question i come up with was why do we as humans have a second sense that there's a connection to a higher power by just observing the stars I think this goes back to um, really what Thomas Aquinas said. Uh, I, it's, I, I've been reading through um, the entire Summa Theologica, and I've gotten to the part where he gotten through a lot of the part where he's talking about uh, God. It's just your fun reading. Yeah, yeah, because you know I've hear I've heard so, people say so many things about Thomas Aquinas says this, Thomas Aquinas says that, and are conf- it's conflicting information sometimes. So I'm thinking. Let me just go back and read what the man himself had to to say about these things, right. so I can get a right. better understanding, a better grasp. And uh, some things have been dead on. Um, some things have have uh, been a little different than what the way I understood. And so it's really been a very good exercise. And so I've got to the part where he's talking about the angels, and he. I'm telling you what, he's got some deep stuff. The man was way ahead of his time. He really was. Yeah. Uh, some very deep things in his uh, theology book, the Summa Theologica. But, you know, I think that goes back to what he was talking about, that it's kind of what you want, if you want to call it natural theology, um, the law of nature, what, whatever, you, you know, whatever, however you want to term it. Um, there is something about the creation that lets us know that this just couldn't have come about on its own. Um he even talks about, interestingly enough, he even talks about vacuums. You've got, we've got cosmologists today trying to say that a vacuum just popped up and, and just created everything. Well, Aquinas even said back then that a vacuum couldn't do that, that there would have to be some point where you reach what he calls pure actuality, pure act, pure being. And God is the only one who could be pure being. And then everything else would depend on his being for 
its uh, its existence. Anyhow, that's that's going beyond the scope of what what we're talking about here. But as he's talking about nature, he's talking about creation. I think Aquinas is not alone. He sees he sees that that nature, the existence of nature itself, the universe itself, demands an answer beyond itself. And I think that all of us have that intrinsic aspect about us when we look up at the stars, as you were talking about, looking up at the night sky and really realizing just how small we are and acknowledging the fact that there must be someone bigger responsible for all of this than just mere nature itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It always just amazes me. Um when we take a moment and we just pause and see, like for me, what I, what I was getting at with the astronomy and astrology question was, was we can recognize shapes and everything. And even though they may have a a name, you know, the big dipper, little dipper, Orion, those kind of things that, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're astrology ing. It, you know, we're not thinking about these things, but it's for uh, a way for us to be able to point out. Yeah, look at look at this. From our view, it gives us this impression, you know. But you know, and in the scriptures, it tells us in the beginning of the scriptures, it tells us that the stars that the they were put up there for seasons and times for us to recognize things. Recognize what? Well. How many of those seasons and stars and times are 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 places where God God put in in His call them moeds, right? They're they're appointed times, they're appointed places on God's calendar where He's going to come and meet with His people. And the only way for them at that time to be able to track that was to follow the stars. It doesn't necessarily mean they were astrology but they knew that those shapes and those times and what the red moon meant and what what some of you know so some of that is scriptural oh yeah what i don't want to do is put a black eye on astrology and have everybody be so fearful of not being able to you're not being able to um uh appreciate what's there but recognize that scripture does have words in there stating hey pay attention to this stuff because that's going to tell you the times and the seasons of what's going to come on what's happening yeah so these constellations you know could represent certain certain things uh and and it's really it comes down again it comes down to what you do with it um Mm -hmm. So, for instance, like uh, like the 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 uh, constellation Orion, it's mentioned in Scripture. Some people, some scholars even believe in the Book of Revelation that the uh, Apostle John, uh, when he was in Revelation chapter twelve, where he's talking about the dragon chasing the woman and and the woman with child, that he may be referring to various constellations that he saw uh, in the night sky, and he's connecting them together as, as signs. That God is giving him of certain theological truths. Now, I also believe he had some, he had visionary things that happened. And I'm not so sure that he didn't have something like an NDE taking place with some of this stuff because it said he's carried away in the scripture. I don't know that for sure, but you know, that, you know, you have to reserve the possibility that it could have happened. Right. 
but um, but it, it, anyhow, suffice it to say that that God definitely does use symbols and signs to point us to deeper spiritual truths. Hmm. So the last question here on this, Brian, I, I thought of you when I wrote this because I'm, I'm like, I don't have a clue where to find any of this stuff. So for our listeners, where can they go to get information on, on this topic and even where, um, equipment to examine the stars um and to and to be able to track things the information that they need to be able to um find uh, or to be able for this to be found so yeah there are some great apps you can get on your phone uh like uh i think it's like star guide or star watch if you if you go in there and, and type up and just do like do a google search of uh just uh, astronomy guides to see the night sky uh i was trying to think of some of those uh apps but i think it's like star guide or something like that you can download that and that'll actually get you pointed in the right direction where some of these things are now it's not going to be exactly precise so but it's going to get you in the general direction and sometimes you may have to look at the 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 shape of the constellation and then look Especially where you are, Curtis, in the beautiful night, night skies of Montana, big, big sky country, uh, you actually have a, a, a greater opportunity of seeing some things tonight than oh, what it's nuts. we can yeah. hear. In fact, even tonight, there's a, there's actually a, an astronomical phenomenon going on that you'll be able to see. We're probably not going to be able to see it in the southeastern United States because of cloud cover, but there's supposed to be the last great supermoon of the year. And as it comes up on the left side of the supermoon, you should be able to see the planet Jupiter. And on the uh, right side, you should be able to see the planet Saturn. And it's all going to come together up in really unison uh, the way it's going to come up over the the, uh, the horizon. And so hmm. I'm going to try to see if I can see it out here in, in a little while. But, I, you know, with the cloud cover we have, I, it's, it's doubtful that I'll be able to see anything. But... Hmm. Uh, as far as the uh some 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 uh equipment you can use there are actually two big types of two major types of telescopes that you can get there's uh, what's called a reflector telescope and this is like the long telescopes you get and you you know just look in with one eye and and see but there's these larger telescopes called uh re- refractor telescopes um, and so, and I may have had it backwards. Maybe a reflector is the larger one and a refractor is the smaller one. But anyhow, whatever the case may be, um, they're, they're, so one, one's larger. And so the reflectors use mirrors, which causes light to reflect at various angles with the optical tube extending, uh, over the overall light path. And so th- that's what you normally see. But the, um, refractors, let's see if I can go over here and look and see where this is. Uh, utilize special design lenses to focus on incoming light uh, onto an image you'll see with your eye or capture a telescope camera. Um, so refractors and reflectors are the two different types of, uh, of uh, telescopes out there. Now, there's also something else. It's it's a little di- more difficult to use, but if you'll give me a second, I'll actually go get it. Give me just one second, and I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. So they also have astronomical uh, binoculars. It's made by Celestron, and I actually got this for a Christmas present. 
Now, you've seen binoculars. This is an astronomical binocular. <laughs> but Celestron. Like, huh. So That's the cool. only difference. It's got a place on here where you can put it on a stand, but I haven't been able to find anything yet that will um, that that will fit it. But you know, mm-hmm. the thing is, the only problem with this is you got to you know, if you have a steady hand, it, it can be useful. But it's if you if you're looking for something that's easier to find, you can use this. Uh, if it's something that's harder to find, if it's deeper space, then you'll probably want a telescope. Uh, something you can put on a tripod and, and really have it stable to see. But one of the reasons that Hugh Ross was talking about uh, the light pollutions, what they call it, is the darker you can get, the more light you can detect. And what yeah. this does is this is especially made to uh, look, it's very sensitive to light. And so you don't want to use this during the daytime. I'm going to warn everybody, don't use this in the daytime, especially look at the sun. We usually never want to look at the sun with a naked eye or binoculars anyhow. But uh, especially <laughs> this, you'll fry a hole in your brain <laughs> if you try it with this thing here. Because especially geared, to, you know, for light, especially geared to detect uh, sensitive light off in deep space. And it's amazing. You go out with this. And it's like you've peeled back two or three layers of an onion. You'll see stars, uh, constantly, you know, uh, stars and even galaxies with this that you can't see with the naked eye. The only problem is, is trying to find a spot where you can keep your hand steady. Uh, that's the only difficulty with, with using binoculars like this. But if you can get a stand, this is actually really cool because you don't have to look in one eye. You can actually look in both and get a real good. Mm view of it but these are astronomical uh binoculars this is made by celestron and uh, i really highly recommend this again it's not as stable as a a tripod would be but uh no but it seems to be more mobile very much so so you could go out and i'll be honest you can use it in daytime to uh and it's got a real good distant view but uh i wouldn't i'd be very careful if you use in the daytime uh because it is very, very sensitive to light. I was just going to say, it looks like those are the those are the same size of binoculars we use when we're out hunting, and we're spotting something, you know, three, four hundred yards off. <laughs> it it probably is about the same thing as far as power goes. The only thing is, the only difference. I don't know if you can see or not. Yeah. A little tint to it, where it's specially made for the night sky. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, out here um, we just had a a, um, a phenomena that that not many people get to enjoy, but us up here in the north, uh, northwest especially, is we get to enjoy what's called the northern lights, and that's um, you know as the sun is reflecting across the ice sheets um, up in, up in the polar caps that that reflects different colors now. My good friend David Dahl has some fantastic pictures of some of the colors that were coming off of uh, of off of that. Um, it was just a just 
really unique. He was able to catch a lot of really neat colors. So he had greens and he had some blues. He had some really bright purples. Um, there was some reds with some pink. Uh, just incredible colors coming across. My understanding is a lot of it has to do with the uh, magnetic waves of the earth, the way the rays and the particles from the sunlight, as it hits those magnetic waves, it produces that phenomenon. And you're right. I've never seen it with my eyes. And quite frankly, you're right. Our friends mm-hmm. to the north are able to view view that. And I'm assuming you could from the South Pole. Uh, but uh the in, mm-hmm. in the north i'll tell you what i i shared curtis you sent me some pictures and i yeah. shared it with some others and they i heard more than one person say that is on my bucket list to go somewhere to be able to see that one day that is certainly a gift yeah you know and i don't want to sound like we take it for granted but truly there's times where we just are like yeah and <laughs> just go to bed you know but and take it for granted but um yeah some of the stuff that we get to see is pretty intense um pretty crazy i know several months ago back in in uh, early winter um i shared with you um some rings that were around the sunshine that were reflecting off of the um the crystallizing of the of the air and when you look up, you had these rings, these complete rainbow essent rings that were, you know, normal rainbow, full circle, and then out of out outside of that, and outside of that, and outside of that. it was almost like six rings you could see from how clear the air was and how crystal crisp. Um, that, that it was a cold morning, I'll just say that, <laughs> but you could see it, it was pretty cool. Hmm. Well, there it is, folks. Um, We sure appreciate you tuning in for uh, the first uh, go-round of the Question Zone. Um, I hope this really helped um, maybe maybe answer some questions that you may have had, or maybe you didn't even think of those questions, but it really did help you maybe uh, have some more information in your back pocket to be able to share with people. So I want to share this as a last encouragement. I'll go out live Christ-centered with others around you. Good night. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. This podcast is protected under Creative Commons copyright. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to click subscribe and tell a friend. We'll see you back next time that we step into the arena of ideas.